Thank you, worship team, and thank you, Lord, for giving us a Savior who is worthy. So we've got a pretty weighty passage today, so I'm going to jump right into it. Um, so we're going to continue in Ephesians, and in this passage in Ephesians, we're going to look at the relationship, our relationship to the Lord. We're going to look at our relationship to each other. We're going to look at a wife's relationship to her husband, a husband's relationship to his wife, children to their parents, and slaves to their masters. So Jeff picked a real good week to be out of the country, halfway over the pond on his way back, but we'll be glad that Pastor Jeff, Pastor Al, and the team is back, and I'm sure they'll be glad to be back also. So in this, it covers and revolves around one central idea, and that is bringing honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, just as Jesus Christ did on the cross. So the whole of Scripture is not about us, but about the one who is worthy, just as we sang. When we get that right, it puts our lives into perspective and helps us find joy in sharing God's glory and not our own. So a lot of what we'll be looking at today has to do with submission. Our last study in Ephesians ended in chapter 5, verses 20 through 21, where it says, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reference for Christ. When thinking about submission, you may think about an MMA fighting match. So I don't recommend them, but in an MMA fighting match, you have two fighters, Sometimes it's two men, sometimes it's two women, and they get in a cage and they fight to submission. So it's till someone is bloodied to the point where they can't fight anymore. It's sometimes when they're knocked out. It's sometimes when bones are broken. Well, that's not the submission we're going to look at today. The submission that we're looking at is Jesus Christ submitting to God the Father and going to the cross. And in that submission, a lot more gruesome than any MMA fight, a lot heavier, a lot weightier, a lot more painful. And what we're going to look at today also is that weight that Jesus Christ took to the cross. And that weight was not so much the pain, but the weight of every sin of every believer that he took and he paid the penalty for. Lawrence Richard explains about Ephesians 5.21 and how we all submit. Submit is a complex concept which needs to be defined by the context in which it is used. Here there is no question of power or position. Here Paul calls for all believers to develop an attitude of submission, a willingness to be responsive and to yield to one another out of love. It is wrong to read hierarchy into this verse or into the passage which follows. Rather we see the development of a sensitivity to others that frees us from pride and enables us to act at all times in loving and caring ways. So before we jump in, I do want to provide some clarity on what submission is, what gospel-centered relationships are, and some misconceptions too. So submission is not a bad word, nor is it a weakness. It's actually the opposite. We all submit or subject in one way to another, to a boss, to the government. If you play sports, you must submit to the rules of the game. We were at a soccer game yesterday. 16-year-old boys, you know, kind of going at it, playing soccer. Uh, two guys from the other team, two players, received red cards. They were removed from the game. They did not want to submit to the rules or to the authorities of the game. 
So you must submit to natural laws as John spoke last week. If somebody jumped off the balcony up here with a paper sack as their parachute, it wouldn't go well. We submit to natural laws. And one day we will all submit to the judgment seat of Christ as believers or the great white throne for unbelievers. This passage we're about to get into speaks about a wife's relationship to her husband. Men, you are the head of your household, not the household of others. And this does not give men the opportunity to oppress women. This passage in no way undermines the importance of a woman in that way that they play in the spiritual health of a family. It's the exact opposite. A Christ-centered marriage where husband and wives are living accordingly to God's word will be blessed where wives and moms play a very significant role as much and in many times more. This passage should not be a deterrent to marriage. So a godly marriage is an act of worship. It requires spiritual disciplines and sacrifice that brings glory to God. Being single is also an act of worship. Paul says that in many circumstances it's better to remain single. And I don't want any of you men saying amen to that right now. Living together outside of marriage is contrary. So as we talk about being married and we talk about being single, there's also culture in society today says a lot of times it's okay to live together if you're not married. So in it, there is not a covenant relationship as pictured in God's covenant with the church. Living together outside of marriage is saying, I want the benefits of marriage without the biblical commitments. So this passage in no way infers that God loves anyone less than he loves anyone else. And we'll see that as we go on. Children are to obey their parents. But if your parents tell you to go jump off a bridge, don't do it, kids. Okay? They're just having a weak moment. And they don't want you to jump off a bridge. All right. There are limitations just as with governments or husbands that demand something contrary to God's will. So there are limitations in our submission. This passage is not condoning slavery, but acknowledging that in a fallen world, some do not treat others as they would want to be treated. So I think it's important as we look at submission, as we look at Jesus Christ, as we look at God the Father, as we look at gospel-centered relationships, we look at the Trinity. So in the Trinity, yep, yeah, it's up there. If you can see that, we see that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are one. They are one God. They are not each other, but they are in each other. They all glorify each other. So when we see that, we also, it's important to see the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man. It's important that the role that he played in his relationship to the Father, that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. Even though Jesus being fully God, fully man, Jesus in the Father, the Father in Jesus, the Holy Spirit in the Father, but not the Father. We see that the Trinity is God, three persons in one. We look at John 6:38 says, "For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me." John 5:23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. In the Trinity, we see that the incarnate Jesus is subject to the Father, not less, but equal, for Jesus Christ is God, just as the Father is God. So we are not God, but we are equal in each other. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And when he saw everything he had created, he said that it was very good. Exactly, as we learned with the elementary school kids. I think that was their favorite part of class, saying good after everything God created. So Jesus submitted to the Father so that this is, practic this is the practical part of Ephesians. And so where do we fit in? We are all called to submit. Just as Christ submitted to the Father, as verse 21 states, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Jesus submitted to the Father, not because he was inferior, we must remember that Jesus and the Father are one, but because that was his role. In this passage, we are to submit to one another, wives to their husbands, children to their parents, and slaves to their masters. Not because anyone is less than any other, or that God values anyone less than any other. Jesus Christ had the right not to die on the cross. He committed no sin. In the eyes of man, what he did was wrong, was to claim that he was the Messiah, in which he was. He laid aside his rights, went to the cross, and died a gruesome death in order that we might have life and have it abundantly. When we submit to Christ, the head of the church, into his guiding word, we bring glory to him. Our lives should point to the gospel, for it shows who God is as a gracious and sacrificial God. The guidance here goes back to where chapter 5, verse 1 began. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. One central theme here in the focus is on Jesus Christ. So now we're going to jump into our passage. If you'd open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And we'll read starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to every in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he's a slave or free, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master in yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your instruction, Lord. We just pray, Lord, right now that you would open our eyes, Lord, open our ears, Lord, open our hearts, Lord, to see your holy word, Lord, as instruction, Lord. Help the Holy Spirit just do a work in our lives, Lord. Help us to, to be more like you, Lord. Help us to be sacrificial, Lord. Help us to be loving, Lord. Help us to submit in ways that you would want us to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we look first at husband and wife relationship. In verse 522, it starts out and it looks at the wife's relationship. All right, as we look at these verses, one of the important takeaways is that wives submitting to your husbands is a voluntary act. Husbands, these are not directed to you. We have our direction coming and it's a high calling. This is not an opportunity for you to demand what you want for your wife. These verses call the wife to voluntarily submit to the leadership of her husband. So husbands, we will get to you in a minute. The passage doesn't go into specifics on what exactly it looks like, but it does draw a correlation that we can best learn from. And that correlation is as husbands are head of the wife, wives submit to their husbands, Christ the head of the church, church submit to Christ. So the Bible has a lot more to say about how the church submits to Christ than how the wife is to submit to the husband. So in this, we see that the church submits to Christ in serving using their spiritual gifts that are given. We see that the church submits to Christ in knowing and proclaiming the gospel. We see that the church submits to Christ in giving. We see that the church submits to Christ in faithfulness. And then we see the church submits to Christ in praise. So many of these actions are seen in Proverbs 31, where Proverbs 31 talks about the praiseworthy attributes of a wife. It's a string of pearls, as John Piper puts it, in a cross stick of 22 different Hebrew letters beginning in each attribute. So I'm going to read that. Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ship of the merchant, and she brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions up for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. 
She puts her hands to the staff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothes is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her work praises here in the gates. So that's a a high calling for women. And men, we will get to your high calling in a second. But Ray Steadman comments that submit has become the focus of the feminist movement and is probably one of the most hated words among women today. The meaning has been grossly distorted. Many wrong things have been done in the name of submission. Perhaps the first thing that needs to be said about submission in that it does not cancel out equality. Although it is addressed here to wives, it is not a female word in the Bible, but it is addressed to men as well. Thus, it is not a sexist word. Everyone must submit to other people. The outstanding manifestation of true submission, of course, is seen in our Lord submitting of himself to the Father. No one would ever conceive of the idea that Jesus founded or approached to submit to the Father. He delighted in it. It was voluntary on his part. In no way did he regard it as a threat to the equality which he knew existed between himself and the Father. Therefore, to submit, someone does not mean you are not equal. This is a confusing meeting which the world has poured into the world today. Submission does not mean inequality. Literally, it means put yourself under, arrange yourself under someone for a good and proper purpose. It is a total voluntary act. Just as Jesus Christ submitted to the Father, we submit to each other. So husbands, you're called to a sacrificial love. The instruction here for husbands is longer and is weightier. We're called husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So verse 525, chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So let that sink in for a minute. As Christ gave himself up for us, we are to give ourselves up for our wives. In the world today, love has many definitions, and it's probably overused and minimalized, but to truly understand what love is, we need to understand that God is love. We're called to love our wives. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we see that God is love, and what did God do for us? He sent his one and only son to die on a cross for us. That's the same love that we are called to as husbands to love our wives. God exemplified his love by the sacrifice of his son. Husbands, the bar is set high in loving your wife. We as husbands can't say we have it easy. So how did Christ love the church? Well, he did it sacrificially. Jesus gave himself up for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And that's Titus 2.14. Man, we are to sacrifice for our wives. He did it by sanctifying. Warren Wiersbe says this, The husband's love will also be sanctifying. The word sanctify means to set apart. In the marriage ceremony, the husband is set apart to belong to the wife, and the wife is set apart to belong to the husband. Today, Christ is cleansing his church through the ministry of the word. The love of the husband for his wife ought to be cleansing so that both are becoming more like Christ. The husband is not to use his wife for his own pleasure, but rather to show the kind of love that is mutually rewarding and sanctifying. The marriage experience is one of constant growth, where Christ is the Lord of the home. Love always enlarges, enriches, while selfishness just does the opposite. So sacrificially, sanctifyingly, graciously, Treat your wife with grace, the same grace that is provided for us and necessary for us. The same grace that Jesus Christ provides for us is how we provide for a wife. Unconditionally, Jesus loves us in spite of who we are. And then faithfully, what Christ accomplished on the cross was once and for all. And once he has done a good work in our lives, there is nothing that can break that promise he gave us that he started in us and that he will finish in us. Husbands, love your wife sacrificially, graciously, sanctifyingly, unconditionally, and faithfully. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I can assure you marriage works best when the attributes of Christ work through us. The way that happens is not by our own power or might, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, the fruit of the spirits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against all things, there is no law. So we have a high calling in leading our marriage, your family, in the way that we reflect Jesus Christ. So men, many times, and this came to mind, we are like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. All right, Jesus Christ called his disciples to stay awake and to stand watch, fix their eyes on Jesus, and they fell asleep. And I can't help but think that many times we are asleep. For whatever reason, we don't fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and who he is in our marriages. So husbands, may we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ in order that his love can work through us and in us.
Then we get to children. So wives and husbands, I'm done with you. You guys can take a, a big, deep breath, and you can all give your kids a, uh, a, just a, a stare down right now, make sure that they're awake in this. And we're going to start reading in chapter 6, verse 1 again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children, you are called to obey. You are called to honor. All right? With that obedience and with that honor, there is a promise. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So obedience and honor. Honor your parents as you would honor the Lord, children. Your parents aren't perfect. I'd be the first to say I am not a perfect parent. But God doesn't say honor your parents or obey your parents if they're perfect or if they're always loving and kind. It says obey your parents. It says show them honor. And with it, there is reward. You see that also and when you look at the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5.16 where it says honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. All right, then we get to chapter 6 in the last verses in this passage, and that's chapter 6, 5 through 9, and it talks about slaves. Well, slaves is the Greek, or doulos, in being in the Greek. It describes one who is bound to another in servitude. In the Greek culture, doulos usually referred to the involuntary, permanent service of a slave by Roman times. Slavery was so extensive that in the early Christian period, one out of every two people were a slave. From at least 3000 BC, captives in the war were the primary source of slaves. These were Christian slaves working for the most part their pagan masters. So when we look at the context of this, we see that Paul was addressing the Ephesians church, the church in Ephesus. And we see here that there were many slaves at the time, many of the believers, many of the Christians, were under the rule of masters. So it is important to see that Paul was not calling for an uprising. He wasn't calling for a revolt. He was calling Christians to obey even their earthly masters who didn't treat them well. This goes contrary to what we think in our society. Many times we are more concerned about our rights more than we are concerned about glorifying God. In this passage, our takeaway can be that although we are not slaves in a master-slave society, we are an environment of supervisor to employee, which does have resemblance. As an employee, a boss, or a supervisor, God is calling us to act in a manner that is pleasing to him. And this is accomplished by doing the will of God with a sincere heart and doing it not because anyone other than the Lord is worthy. George Mueller said this about finding the will of God, and we see in this passage that we're to do this out of a sincere heart and out of the will of the Lord. 
So here are six ways that George Mueller finds in finding the will of God. Surrender your own will. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. Do not depend on feelings. Number two, having done this, I do not leave the result to feeling or simple impression. If so, I make myself liable to great illusions. Three, seek the Spirit's will through God's word. I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the word of God. The Spirit and the word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the word, I lay myself open to great delusion. If the Holy Ghost guides us all, he will do it according to the scriptures and never contrary to them. And then he states, note providential circumstances. Next, I take into account providential circumstances. These often plainly indicate God's will in connection with his word and spirits. So providential circumstances, how God is working in the world for his purpose. And then pray. I ask God in prayer to reveal his will to me all right and then wait sometimes we wait and we see how god is working and we see his will come to fruition surrender your own will do not depend on feelings seek the spirit through god's word note providential circumstances pray and wait in our relationships these are our wise words whether it's a working relationship a, a marriage relationship uh, relationship with your children that we act out in following God's will. Hebrews 13:17 says, "Obey your leaders and submit to them, for you are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you." 1 Peter 2:13 through 14, "Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We are all in submission to each other. We are called to submit to each other in love. We are given the example of Jesus Christ and we are submit to each other out of worship to the Lord because it brings glory to God the Father. In closing and in conclusion, and to wrap this up, you might be thinking this is all pretty weighty. Well, yes, in a lot of ways it goes against what is communicated in culture. And we even, if we don't think so, battle entitlement within ourselves. This is our sin nature. Thankfully, God has given us his son, his word, and Holy Spirit to do battle, to forgive us when we fail and provide us the opportunity to bring him glory and enjoy him forever. When we put our relationships in perspective of God's word, we realize that our lives are not our own. We belong to God. May our marriages resemble the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. May our children obey their parents just as Jesus Christ obediently obeyed the Father and went to the cross. May our time at work and in society be committed to doing the will of God.